The following program is paid for by Rudy Wealth Management. Good morning, and welcome to Paul Rudy's On the Money. You're invited to be part of today's show. Call 356-9397. Opinions and views expressed represent those of the guests and do not necessarily represent those of the station. And now, Paul Rudy's On the Money. Let me get my uh, microphone on. There we go. Good morning, everybody. This is Paul Rudy with Paul Rudy's On the Money Radio Show. Going to turn up my headphones here. I'm all good now. Uh, thanks for tuning in. I think we got plenty to talk about today. My guess is uh, probably don't have a big script here today, guys. I'm here with a couple of my regular guests, uh, Dr. Fred Gertz. Dr. Fred, are you on the phone? I'm on. I can hear you fine. Good. Great. Glad to have you today uh, in particular. Uh, there's going to be lots of talk probably today about what to expect from an economic standpoint. Things have suddenly changed, uh, at least it would seem so. And certified financial planner professional and retirement income certified professional David Rudy and certified financial planner professional Ryan Repco. Call in with your questions, 217-356-9397 or text us on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line at 351-5357. You can also email your questions to talk at wdws.com. That's talk at wdws.com. It's important to recognize that past performance is not an indication of future results. You should not make any investment decisions without first consulting your own financial advisor and conducting your own research and due diligence. Welcome to those tuning in on Facebook Live. We got it up and running. Ryan's over there smiling. Oh man, that He's was happy. A, that was a beautiful intro. So smooth. That was kind of smooth, wasn't it? I yeah. didn't. I didn't freelance. <laughs> I didn't ad lib. I didn't go off script. Yeah, it's like butter rolling off a kitten. It's oh, beautiful. I tell you. Well, you know, it's, it's it's the stress of you know what's going on lately in the stock and bond market. It's, <laughs> it's been an interesting couple of weeks and it's kind of ironic and it wasn't for any forecasting and I've never forecast but much before all this shenanigans kind of has been going on I had just written a blog post that are you ready for the next bear market and again I'd be disingenuous if I said I thought one was coming and that was the point my point is I'm always doing lifeboat drills with clients because I think it's important to make sure that you have a plan and you preemptively know uh, what the downside of your plan is so that you can deal with it financially and emotionally. Uh, probably more importantly, emotionally. Uh, obviously, the financial question is what drives a lot of emotion. Am I okay? Starting Starts to become the question. And certainly in a short period of time, Fred, uh, boy, we've had some sand thrown into the gears of potentially the economy. Uh, the stock market is just a reflection of what of, of what's going on and anticipation of what might happen. We got the coronavirus and of course just then over the weekend we had a collapse in oil prices because Saudi Arabia and Russia seem to be in a standoff where neither one would blink. It seemed almost childish when I read about it. And Fred, if somebody would have told me that on top of the coronavirus and the unknowns uh, that we would have the oil patch basically thrown into a deflationary spiral that's probably overstating it uh thrown into uh seeing their prices basically collapse from the 50 60 dollar range to 30 dollar range i would have expected a stock market maybe down 40 or 50 percent um right. through yesterday the broad u.s indices were down about 19 percent they technically don't classify as a bear market i'm willing to call it a bear market because bear markets Technically, people say, you know, well, when you hear about a bear market, it's pretty much generally agreed on. It's a 20% or more decline. They average about one-third off. But if you look at small caps, they're off more than 20%. And you look at some international markets, off more than 20%. I mean, this reminds me a lot of 2018, 2016. Those two weren't technically uh, bear markets. And I don't even think 2011, you know, was basically a decline in the 19s. were categorized as bear markets, but I think they sure feel like one, and I I consider them as one more. Sometimes I almost wish it would just fall a little bit further so it could be an official bear market so I can stop hearing about people saying, we haven't had a bear market in, you know, 10 years or a decade or whatever. So, Fred, kind of your first blush, I saw your most recent flash index. It looked like up to this point, Illinois is doing better. What just last Friday we had you know, again, record unemployment, right. good, great numbers. You know, I, if you didn't have the TV on for the last couple of weeks and didn't read newspapers, you'd think we were in a, going into more of an economic boom. Suddenly, yeah, I think so. Yeah, this is an unusual thing because uh, it wasn't like a, 
a gradual uh, decline into a re- recession. There's been a, a downturn, which may or may not lead to a recession. But I've been on the show with you so long, I know your uh, terminology <laughs> that uh, you, you talk about the uh, crosstown bus uh, coming every, uh, you know, very regularly. Like the crosstown bus, I guess, could be either a, a, a correction or a bear market. But uh, sometimes if you're in a big city, the, the bus is delayed for a long time, and then all of a sudden three buses. Uh, come all together, so this may be the uh, the delayed arrival of the crosstown bus that we're always always talking about. But again, I think that uh, this is unusual and in some ways uh, to me a little bit comforting because there's a real reason for the downturn, and uh, it's not it's not uh, some uh, you know like a collapse of the financial markets that we had in 2008 or, or a bubble bursting in the housing market or the hijack or something of that sort. It's a pretty straightforward kind of uh, disruption. And I think that, uh, again, depending on how serious it is, we'll, we'll get over it. And then how soon is a question. And one thing we sometimes talk about markets is, is providing information. So people are probably asking, why is the uh, Dow up a thousand points one day and down 2000 the next day? And the answer is that uh, no one really knows what the uh, correct information is. So it's, it's a period of really great Uncertainty, but I think that uh, to the extent that uh, uh, we have ability to control it, people are, are taking it seriously. I'm in Washington for a conference, and people came from all over to go to the conference. And it turns out a lot of the people living in Washington uh, didn't bother to come in. They called in their their presentations because of uh, various kinds of restrictions. I also saw that I, Dave is a, a tennis person, but this shows how how serious people are taking it. The, the, the Parabus uh, Desert Wells. Uh, tennis tournament, which is probably the biggest tennis tournament aside from the Grand Slams, was uh, just canceled. So we are taking it very seriously, and that may actually uh, work to our advantage in terms of getting over it uh, more quickly. Uh, one, one last thing. Sure. Uh, again, uh, market, uh, again, give us information, but they're not perfect. But uh, so let's say the market is down 20%. It's hard for me to believe that. Uh, uh, if you discount uh, future profits into infinity, that is going to be 20% lower forever and ever. So I think it's probably at some point going, going to bounce back, as we always say, this kind of a, an overreaction. The one uh, question, I guess, I, the question I have for you and I have for myself, uh, we always talk about not being in market time or holding fast and, and following your plan. Uh, the one question, though, is uh, when do you rebalance? Uh, and that, the question, obviously, is down 20%. If we knew that was the end of the decline, now would be the time to rebalance. But the question is, when do you actually pull the trigger, or do you pull the trigger uh, uh, sequentially with a small number of changes? So I'll, that's a question I'll leave for uh, you, okay. There All right. Fair enough. I'll kick that off to Dave. Yeah, I mean, I think the honest answer is there is no way to know in advance what the perfect rebalancing strategy is going to be, because uh, it just is going to depend on you know what returns end up being in the future and whatnot. But uh, a pretty common strategy that you'll see among financial advisors, and the one that we follow, and I think is really sensible, is to set certain percentage bands around uh, the asset classes within your portfolio. And so we really do that at two different levels. One is more at the, at the big picture level of stocks versus bonds. And I'll let that drift up to about plus or, plus or minus 5% from our target, which sounds pretty wide, but you'd be surprised how quickly, <laughs> quickly that can happen. And you want to provide some leeway, because at the end of the day, when we're building plans for clients, you know, even if it's built on, let's say, a 50% stock, 50% bond ratio, it's not going to move the needle much if it's at 45 or at 55. But we also... From a risk standpoint and client psychology standpoint, we don't want to let let it drift too far. So that's why we have that band. And again, nothing magical there. It's just a reasonable kind of band. And then with the subclasses, so that's things like, well, how much in small companies versus large companies or U.S. versus international. We let things drift a little bit further. So we'll let the subclasses drift plus or minus about, about 20%. Um, now, the caveat to all this is we tend to rebalance with cash flow. So when we're dealing with primarily retirees, we're essentially keeping things in balance as people take withdrawals. And then for people who are adding to their portfolio, we're basically rebalancing with the, the inflows into their portfolio to try to keep things in balance. But when things, you know, it takes markets like this where, yeah, when you fall 20% in a period of time, you can't keep things in, in balance necessarily with cash flows. But again, that that's 
our methodology. I'm not saying it's the absolute perfect methodology, but I think it's it's reasonable. It's, it's a degree of reasonableness, and that's what it always comes down to. And the other thing to think about, you know, you can always turn these things for some people into an advantage. If you were planning on doing a Roth conversion this year, it's obviously when the stock market's down 20%. That's an advantageous time. Now, maybe it'll be down 40 uh, but you could always, you don't have to do everything all at once. You know, I think so many uh, investors approach financial decisions as it's one or the other. It's binary. I, I do the conversion or I don't. It's how about doing a third of what you think you're going to convert right here or half. Maybe a pretty good down payment of half. And then if it gets worse, you know, you, you do, you step it up and you do, you complete it. Uh, again, this isn't about market timing. It's just like taking advantage harnessing what's happening right now and saying, is there anything in here uh, where it creates an advantage for me? For people that are not retired and are not done buying yet, that obviously uh, just kind of sticking you know, to your knitting and keep making your contribution into your retirement plan every payday uh, and even think about, well, this is a time period where I could actually spend a little less money. I'm going to put in another 1% or 2% or an extra $500 in my retirement in a 401k plan this month. So not to not to make everything seem rosy because it's not. This is very stressful on people. But you, I think, and then of course another big one is, and I did it yesterday. I locked in a very favorable, below three percent, thirty-year mortgage rate on my house. And so you take advantage of the liability side of your overall household net worth, and these are things you can do. But I think in summary, David, as far as rebalancing, Fred, we just look at degree of sense. You know. I guess we follow very rigid rules that just automatically kick in, but as far as people out there that don't have that software, et cetera, it's just like, you know what, take a look at your allocation. If it's out of whack by, you know, stocks versus bonds by 5% or more, reel it back in. Uh, if your international suddenly becomes smaller than your large, reel it in. The important thing is just to do it. Obviously, you don't want to do it every quarter. And yep. I think ideally have some sort of plan in place so that it doesn't turn into market timing. Because I think that's the, the risk you run with any rebalancing strategy is you're really market timing, but you're <laughs> calling it rebalancing. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, and you're trying to pick the exact right date to rebalance. That's the other trap you can fall into is if you don't have those those exact bands or exact, you know, some people will do calendar year or every six months or, or some sort of frequency as well and again that that's reasonable there's downsides to that because it may not be necessary to rebalance but the key is that you have that plan you stick to it and you don't worry about is now the perfect bottom of the market where i should be rebalancing because i think that's easy to say oh i think it has f further to fall from here so i'm not going to rebalance back into equities yet yep exactly that that's the point that I was going to make is for somebody who doesn't have an advisor, and that's a what about half the population is right doing it themselves. Um, so, what is the strategy for them? And uh, some big players in our industry say, kind of what David mentioned is pick a date or an approximate time on an annual basis, and regardless of what's going on in the economy, you determine you look you open up your account and you say, here's what my account is at this particular point of time. Does it need a rebalance, yes or no? And you're not doing it based on market conditions. You're not doing it based on the coronavirus or anything else that's going on because it's what we always have to be mindful of is the, the, you know, the timing, the, the market timing in disguise, like you said, calling it rebalancing. Yeah, but on the other hand, yeah. Fred brings up a really good point, though. When you, when you have a broad stock market down 20%, mm -hmm. uh, I don't see any harm you wouldn't want to do it every other day. You know, if it's down 22%, we do it again. But in a broad sense, you're approaching a bear market, probably a good time to do a rebalancing. There's no harm in that. In fact, I would probably encourage it. Uh, look at your taxation and some other issues. You know, what is it going to do for you? How far out of whack you are? But I'm probably going to take advantage of it. Uh, again, th this rebalancing decision in the life, in the scheme of life, isn't a big lever that moves a lot of stuff, but it's still sensible to do it periodically. Yeah, Fred. Yeah, now, it may be. Uh, it's kind of good news, bad news. The, if you uh, are an investor and, and haven't been very uh, uh, diligent about rebalancing, the market may have uh, taken care of your your rebalancing <laughs> automatically. Yeah. Well, well, in fact, it probably did because you know if you look at the gains of of last year, I'm just moving my chair around, my cord is stuck in it, and uh, pardon me for a minute. Sorry about that. Not good radio, I know. Um, 
Yeah, if, you know, if you had left it unattended for the last couple of years, no question you were out of balance, right, guys? I mean, is that fair to say? You've been mm-hmm. doing some rebalancing over the last year yeah, between for stocks and bonds. I mean, so I guess the good news, at least for, you know, so for our clients that it applied to, you know, last, you know, going up into the all-time new highs, portfolios are becoming overfunded, I mean, over out of balance stocks versus bonds. And, you know, and it was very... Clients don't like it either, do they, when the stock market's at all-time new highs and you're saying, look, we're going to go pare it down. We're going to buy some of the stuff you don't like, bonds, which is countercultural, which is one of the roles that an advisor plays is to have clients do things they normally wouldn't do on their own. For sure. And then the other thing that that brings to mind is, you know, it wasn't that long ago we were hearing fairly, I wouldn't say all the time, but we had a handful of it people was becoming fairly say, frequent. why do we even own this much in bonds? They don't earn anything. I mean, we'd hear that every now and then. They don't earn anything. They still don't. They earn even less now as far as if we're talking about, you know, bond yields and interest rates. But I think this period illustrates why you have bonds in in your portfolio. I'm not hearing that comment nearly as much these days. Well, it's one of the unforeseen benefits of markets like this. It does force people to think about their overall situation and allocation and it kind of gets them back to an allocation maybe that they can stick with over their lifetime and gets them to refocus people get complacent they get silly they get giddy uh sometimes they get goofy after enough of a gain and they 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 come detached from well if you're operating without a plan frankly you know then you're into the world of emotion all you're really operating operating off on is chaos theory this thing may blow at the moment let me ask you guys something, and then I'm going to go to Fred, uh, but while it's on the top of my mind. So we've had a, lot, a significant number of new clients over the past six months, let's say, uh, say prior to this recent decline. Um, as you're looking at their financial plans, and again, I don't want anybody to make too, draw too big of a, a conclusion from what we're about to talk about, but in a general sense, those are the ones, uh, David and Ryan, that you kind of think might be most sensitive to this type of decline. What's going on with the typical situation in their plan that came in three, four, five, six months ago? Well, the ones I've looked at have been honestly still in good shape, obviously not exactly where they started in terms of we have a measure called probability of success that tells us, you know, when adjustments are needed, but they're still kind of on the high side of where we like to keep plans and there's no adjustments required. And people would think that seems weird because the market has declined, you know, close to 20%. But the reason is because we're, 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 when we're building financial plans, and I think anyone should do things this way, your plan needs to be built under the assumption that you will have declines like this and worse. And you need to build your plan to withstand those declines and work despite them. And because we build plans that way, when they come along, unless it's a really se- severe decline, we build plans so that they don't even require an adjustment. But if things do fall significantly further from here, there is a chance that we're going to have to go to some clients and say, hey, we need to you know, cut back your spending a little bit. The way I put it yesterday, we, I sent out an email blast to all of our clients. I normally, in fact, I've never done that uh, because it's, it's really interesting as a financial advisor, the minute you start pounding your clients with all kinds of communications about the coronavirus and all these things, they think, wow, Paul and Dave and Ryan, they must be really worried about this. So I, I never like... It's just something I don't like to do. But there comes a point where you say, look, I want to address people. Everybody's kind of consumed by this right now. And part of what I addressed yesterday is our planning process. I, I, I'm paraphrasing. I said, look, it's kind of like a bridge builder. If, if the biggest vehicle you expect to go over your bridge is 5,000 pounds, she's going to build a bridge that maybe withhold 10,000 pound vehicle. Uh, you know, when they test airplane wings for stress, they stress it under conditions worse than they realistically expect. And that's the way. Of, that's the approach of our planning. Again, it gets back to the best strat is the best ideas to face. You know, to try to limit this emotion is to have a plan ahead of time, a strategy where you preemptively know what we're, what horrible markets are going to do, and that way nobody's ever caught by surprise. And then emotionally, it's a lot easier to deal with, and financially, it's a lot easier to deal with. And Fred, I want to go back to you, and I know you guys wanted to comment on that, but. Uh, I was just yeah. thinking back to my early days when the stock market crashed in 1987. Uh, it was almost inconceivable to how we wouldn't have a recession. 
yet we didn't have one. And right now there's no sign really, that, uh, at least to date, that liquidity is drying up. It seems like central banks are supplying all the needed liquidity. Short-term rates have collapsed to near zero. But you mentioned earlier this isn't really like 2008, 2009 so far because it doesn't seem to be any systematic risk. So if we could avoid a recession after and I remember it like it was yesterday. Everybody just, it was like the next shoe to drop after. Not, you know, when you think about stock, yesterday was nothing compared to that Monday in October of 1987, where between sunup and sundown, the prices went down 20%. Think about the stock market falling six or 7,000 points uh, yesterday, and yet we didn't have a recession. So does that mean we're not going to have a recession, or maybe this it's not 100% baked in that we will? Well, I don't think it's baked in, but I think there's a substantial risk. Uh, things change. Like, like you said at the beginning, uh, everything was pretty uh, positive until about the last week in February, and uh, the consumer sentiment was high, employment uh, growth was good, all, uh, unemployment was low, all of those things. And then it changed uh, very rapidly, and there are real changes here. I mean, when hotels uh, lose their bookings, or I think uh, uh, people may, may get home but cancel their uh their cruises, yeah. uh, that has a real economic impact. And uh, I think that's going to have an effect. The other thing, which is kind of, uh, of uh, old news, is that it kind of puts to rest the idea that uh, we're in kind of a, uh, a, a zero-sum game with China, uh, according to Trump and other people. If China wins, we lose. Well, this is a case where uh, we obviously are both losing, and we're not – if. The uh, fixed sum kind of thing were were correct. We'd be doing great now because China's taking a hit. But obviously, we're to a certain extent in the same boat, and uh, and we're going in the same direction, which right now is not not particularly good. The other question, though, is whether, and I don't think we know this, uh, whether, and I, I know we don't know it, and that is how how severe, how long lasting is the impact going to be? Typically, uh, if you have a short term disaster, a hurricane, something like that, it makes virtually no difference because there's a quick turnaround, like when uh, 20 years ago or so, when the city of Chicago, uh, the lower layer flooded, uh, Chicago was closed for a couple of weeks, and it uh, looked like a really uh, disastrous situation. But after the fact, uh, you can hardly even uh, tell it happened because people who would have done things during that uh, that period when they were they were uh, closed down did it later, bought things or sold things or whatever it might be. But this may be a little bit longer uh, in terms of uh, coming back. So, again, I think that it, it, there's a good chance now that there will be uh, a recession. But, again, it uh, depends on this very, like, if, if suddenly uh, everything is contained with the uh, virus and, and so far it's been pretty much contained in the United States, we may have a quick turnaround, but it's too soon to know. I was watching the news today, and I don't know that this means anything, but it sort of does at the back of my brain that they've just closed their final, I think they built 11 or maybe it was 21 kind of pop-up hospitals in Wuhan, China, and they just closed their last one because there's just so few people. You know, they seem to, if you can trust the data, that is. But it certainly seems that that fire is putting itself out over there. Uh, The other thing is I think that uh, very likely hundreds of thousands of millions of people uh, had the disease and they didn't even know it because it's, it's not the uh, uh, Spanish flu of 1918 where a significant number of people died. But so again, I think a lot, a lot more people probably have contracted the uh, the virus than we actually know now. And the good news is that it hasn't really impacted them all that all that much. Yeah, but like you say, it does have its. I was supposed to go on a, a cruise this in the river and a river cruise out in the northwest of the U.S. And in June, and I thought, well, and and I was going to go with a client of mine that's a pathologist, uh, two of our, us couples, and he called me and he said, hey, I'm thinking of not going. I go, you that worried about the, the, the virus? He said, no, I'm worried about how people are going to behave during the virus because every day we're supposed to dock at a new town. I'm afraid, he goes, I can, kiddingly, he said, I can see people yeah. down there with shotguns and axes saying you can't park your boat here because of the virus yeah. so that's just how weird this thing warps but uh you know yeah, well, the good thing is i don't think you're probably not going to miss a lot of hampered washington if you don't get off the boat you're probably right and i want to touch on that too because i think sometimes people think you know you're an incurable optimist or kind of you know because i am people will call and they'll they'll say they'll basically list all these bad news headlines things that are happening there is an economic impact and what they draw, the conclusion they draw from that is 
therefore the market's going to fall further from here right. and we need to get out now. And I always want to remind people that, look, all of that stuff is true, but you're not the only one who knows that. That is information that is available to basically everyone across the globe, especially in today's day and age. That information is already baked into stock prices. I'm not saying they're perfect, but they have accounted for that information, and the price today is reflecting basically investors' beliefs on based on that information, what companies are worth going going forward, essentially. And what that means is that it's too late to act on that information that you know. I'm not saying it won't fall further from here. I'm saying it may or it may not. We don't know. It depends if the new information that comes out in the future, which by definition is unknowable, is better or worse than what we already know and expect for the future. And I think that trips people up because they, they just list, oh, here's all this bad information, all this bad news, and they think that they can act on it. But it's like, no, that's why the market is already down. Mm -hmm. And going forward, yeah. unless new information comes out that is worse than what we already know and expect, it may not fall further. Uh, I've always felt, guys, that risk is what's left over after you think you've thought of everything. It's never the risk that everybody's talking about that is the undoing. It's always a risk that is unknown, and that's why forecasts are so horrible because, you know, it, it, you can't make forecasts about things that are unknown. And uh, you're right. Isn't the stock market, Fred, essentially what Dave's saying is the ultimate discounter of current information? Sure. And you have to take a chance. I'm sure that a year from now, there'll be exposés about someone made a huge amount of money by betting against the coronavirus. So if you you think you know, uh, you might uh, end up uh, setting up for uh, you know buying stocks now and, and, and or whatever options, things of that sort, and make a huge amount of money. And probably other people would think it's going to be even worse than it is, and they're going in the opposite direction. But the point is, the market kind of uh, equilibrates those kind of activities. And as uh, David said, it's not a perfect answer, but it's at least the best information we have at, at this point. And again, like I, I think there is a wave of uh, of public opinion, like. Uh, I don't think anything particularly happened about uh, the coronavirus from uh, Thursday until Monday, but yet there were huge uh, uh, changes during that period of time. Yeah, and I, I see guys just as an instant, everybody's excited that the Dow was up 900 for a while this morning, and I thought to myself, I won't be surprised if this turns negative before the end of the day. This is typical, you know, trading type stuff, uh, kind of inside baseball stuff, and, you know, we suddenly go from a positive 900 it just bears just slightly lower so you may get your your wish dave you said <laughs> i wish it would just go down exactly 20 percent or more so that we could quit talking yeah. about it might become a bear market um this yeah, the is, other thing, yeah uh, go ahead Fred. I, i'm sorry we, we, we might have mentioned i won't interrupt again but um we may be asking too much of people saying uh is it time to rebalance uh, if you're not up to rebalancing at least you're probably in a situation where holding tight is the uh, appropriate strategy. So, again, it may be asking people to be too heroic to actually re rebalance into the downturn, but at least if they, they don't sell, they're probably working in the right direction. At least. And maybe that's one of the advantages of having a trusted advisor. You know, one, you're going to operate off of a plan. And I've always said, I've probably said it more times than you guys care to hear, that every successful investor I've ever met was plan-focused and continuously, you know, acting on that plan and they were goal-focused, every unsuccessful investor I've ever made uh, met would be, I would say, market-focused and always reacting to current events. And Fred's right. Sometimes the best you can do on your own is to not react, but I think people find that difficult uh, to do. Yeah. One of the values of a trusted advisor is, one, you have that plan. You, you preemptively know where the ouch points are. You're mentally prepared for it, and when they come, it's kind of just more like, yeah, we talked about this, it showed up, yeah, and, and here we are. And, and some of it, too, yeah. I, I'm becoming more and more convinced you have to accept that you can't time the market. Because at the end of the day, that's what ev almost all of this comes down to is you have your plan. Like you said, we know declines are going to come along, but we can't predict when they will come along, and we can't get out in advance of them. So you have to just kind of accept that they're going to happen, and you're going to have to ride through them. 
if you think you can time the market more power to you but you should probably start a hedge fund and become a billionaire because you're going to be the only person on the planet who can consistently time day-to-day market movements there goes rigid dave grouchy dave (laughs) yeah Yeah, larry summers uh former secretary of treasury and president of harvard gave some kind of mundane practical advice to people who are in a panic stage he said even if you are in a panic stage uh do it gradually do five percent a month (laughs) that's <laughs> not a good idea but if, if you're going to do it do it five uh, percent a month and probably by the time you do a month or two you'll the panic will subside and you're only being uh, damaged a little bit so there, there there are ways of trying to control your own uh, own feelings the lesson in all of this and how many times have you listeners heard me say this surprise is the mother of panic if you allow yourself to become surprised that the stock market can fall 20 percent over a short period of time now Having said that, this may be one of the shortest, this may be the shortest period for a 20% decline if we get there today, and it looks like we could, you know, by the time, you know, at some point. Uh, you know, this, these things are built into the system. You, the, when I look at the market economy and how, the great benefits that it provides people, us humans, I don't think it's unreasonable to expect the market to ask for something in return. And when they're asking for a return is, an ability to have an adult memory that guess what the stock market does go down temporarily a lot and that's the only reason it gets to go up permanently on a permanent uptrend you know it's almost like I try to explain this to a client the other day it's like a blind person with a cane they don't know where the wall is they can't know where the wall is until the cane bumps against the wall and I kind of feel like that's the way the markets are. It's like, well, they don't know how to process pessimism and optimism. Like, has it gone too far until it bumps into its limits or enough people that say, oh, you've probably taken this too far. We're going to go the other way. These are fast. This is a fascinating uh, experiment that for some reason. Now, this is maybe this is you can call me cranky old dad. (laughs) It's I'm always amazed because there's always it's always well, but this time it's different. Okay, but that, that's that's the common denominator. But you right? hear you hear that every time too. But I'm <laughs> always amazed that people find out that a stock market can suddenly fall twenty percent when once a year over the last fifty years the average intra year decline is about fifteen percent. That means even good years, you know, there's probably some period in there where you're down fifteen percent from all time highs. It's almost as if someone lives in Illinois their whole life and walks out on January 15th and it's five below zero and they're completely stunned and shocked that it's five below zero in Illinois in January and they start making all kinds of crazy decisions about the clothing they're going to buy forever and they're going to throw out all their summer clothing because it's going to be cold forever and ever at this rate. I, I know that probably sounds maybe even weird, but... I've never seen an experiment that's repeated over and over and over again with the same results, and people can't understand. They think that this time the results are going to be different. The permanent uptrend is not going to reassert itself ever again. I find it fascinating and bizarre, and I find it probably the only reason people pay us our 1% to be their advisor because our job is to resist those feelings and not panic. And I think we've done a really good job, guys. Because I'm going to ask you, and I want you to be honest. In the last week, how many phone calls have each of you had, or inquiries? Let's let's. I want to be fair and include email of people. I'm going to do it a couple of different ways that were panicked and really wanted to do something, or just wanted to know how you're feeling. I can answer. I've had zero panicked and want to do anything emails or calls. I've had two calls just checking in on me saying like hey just want to get your thoughts how are you doing david i've had one panic i want to get out call which we didn't get out um and then three emails i think i've had yesterday I, i usually don't work in the office and it's not because of the virus on mondays uh, but I came in just I like to be sensitive like what if clients call it's only it's only natural it's only human to want to reach out to your advisor you know sometimes I told the boys look we may be the only calm rational optimistic voice they hear that week and you have to be accessible so I made myself particularly accessible yesterday I was very lonely I didn't have a single call 
<laughs> so, guys, we're going to go to the phones because that's what the show is all about, hopefully. We're going to go to Larry on line two. Larry, how can we help you? Yes, uh, good morning. Hey, um, I was listening to another show, um, not as good as yours, by the way. <laughs> Thank but, you. Uh, the guy had, they had a uh, situation that he was a financial advisor, obviously, and he was trying to point out, and I'll, hopefully I won't screw this up too bad. But anyway, long story short, he had a, a couple that was just over 60, I don't know, 61, two right in there. And they had, he had, they had come to him uh, from a previous advisor, which they was dealing with back in 2000. Okay. At the time, they was 60, I think it was 61 in, in the year 2000. They had just a pinch over a million dollars for retirement. And he had set them up where they was taking $50,000 a year out. And he said, all you guys will be fine. You'll be, you know, no problem. Well, through the years between 2000 and 2018 or 19, whatever it was, when they, when this couple had come to this guy that was discussing this, uh, you know, they had a couple of two or three years downturn and then the 08, 09 and all sure. that, yep. plus they was taking 50 grand a year out. Well, they was down to 200 and some thousand dollars wow. at 78 years old. Wow. Well, and then he uh, had another couple, but let me, go ahead. he yep. had another couple come in and they was 62, but they was going to work until age 68 and retire. They had, they had 1.5 million, uh, one million they had taken out and put in an annuity, and the other five hundred thousand they kept in the stock market to try to grow. So my question is, and I'll let you elaborate. Okay. I think you know where I'm going with this. With 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 the big downturn with the markets and everything, you know, with their annuity they was going to get a hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year out of that. I I presume for life. Okay. Out of that million that they put in the annuity. So I just want your thoughts on that. Is that is there more obviously more to it? Uh, obviously, you know, you're putting the full million in, sure. and upon death, how does that work? Okay. Or how does I, I think I get where you. I think I get where you're going. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna. You, mm -hmm. I'll just drop you, and then you can listen if that's okay. Yep. Okay. Great. Thanks. Thank thanks for calling. Uh, let's get this drilling down. Is you know, at times like this, you think about, well, what about that annuity? Well, you can't put a million dollars in and get a hundred and fifty thousand a year. You might get something closer 60. to sixty thousand a year. Would be if we had said to spitball and, this, a and little that's bit. not inflation adjusted, and, and that right. wouldn't be inflation adjusted. And of course, we know the Federal Reserve, and this isn't against immediate annuities. Some for some people, they make fabulous sense, but we know the government's going to go out of its way. We have inflation target of two percent, so they're going to nearly double your cost of living in retirement. But most most thirty year retirement period, you would have needed to triple your income. Just as an aside, uh, the first situation, obviously, somebody was lack of diversification. They didn't have any rules when to make adjustments. They just didn't know what they were doing, and that's why you have to be really careful who you choose. Uh, Dave, go ahead. That's Here. what I was going to say on the, the first one. It's like, well, I'm not surprised. That's one of the worst times you could have possibly retired right before the decline in 2000, 2002. Then you have, it, it's the lost decade. They call it that for a reason. It was a really rough decade, especially if you were just invested in the U.S., which a lot of people were. And just blue chip and stocks. And a 5% starting withdrawal rate is not unreasonable, but it's on the, on the, high, on side. the high side. And if you're going to start at something like a 5% withdrawal rate, which is what that example was, you better have, but you better have some rules for when you're going to cut that withdrawal if you get a bad draw. So yeah, if you take a 5% starting withdrawal, you get a really, really, you pretty much retired at one of the worst times in the history of the U.S. that you could have retired. Not if, if, you were, if you were not diversified, and that is if you're just one right. of these people that said, I'm just going to invest all my money in the Standard & Poor's 500 index, you live through a decade where a million dollars would have turned into 900000 had you not withdrawn any money. Right. And it was completely different for the global investor. But I, I had to inject that. No, and that's fair. But let, even just still, it wasn't a great time period. Not making adjustments, well, that's just, that's not a good, <laughs> that's not a good strategy. That's, I, I talked um, about it. It doesn't surprise me that's how it turned out. I talked about it on the front of the show. I said you need a strategy where you preemptively know where the ouch points are and where you're going to make those adjustments. And the client should know that for the day he or she signs the plan. Or if you're not going to have any flexibility, you need to start a lot lower than 5% withdrawal This is the ultimate dilemma for the newly minted retiree. How do I know that I don't have the knucklehead versus the really professional person? 
there's no way to prove it there's no facts about the future uh you can understand why people are really reluctant to seek out financial advice when they hear about the 78 year old that suddenly you know they're running towards the rocks um and there's really no answer to that other than you just you just need to ask a lot of questions like okay we're, at what point ahead of time do we know where we would make those adjustments and have you tested your theories mr and mrs Advi or mr mrs advisor have you actually audited your process where you make changes and how you make changes and how does that look can you show me what if this is 1966 we're going into high inflation and poor returns would i have made it there's ways to do this but i feel bad for people uh because there is no litmus test that says i don't have a knucklehead and most there's people, also there's go also, ahead, Fred. I, I mean there's also like a profound statement that uh, uh life isn't always fair uh and again even with the very best advice uh if you retire in 2000, uh, you may do a lot worse than your brother who retired in 1995. Or, oh, clearly, you know, or even so, so. So there's no guarantee that you're going to uh, fare as well as someone who has a different time path. And but the, your point is that with uh, proper planning, you can at least uh, make it through all right. I think with proper planning, you have to make the assumption that I am the guy or lady that always invests. You know, when it's the wrong time or I'm going to get one of the most unfavorable draws for returns over the next 30 years. You need to taste that to see if the plan is still going to work out to your satisfaction. Maybe not perfectly, but to your satisfaction. All right, we've been, we have left Mark holding for too long. Mark, thanks for calling on the money. Mark, are you there? Hello? Oh, yeah, Mark. Yes, sir. Let me now. I missed the bell before. Hey, thanks, thanks <laughs> All right. I can see the future, just so you know. Okay, I, I believe you, too. Short, I can see the short-term future out, say, two, three, four weeks. And this virus is going to hit like a Mack truck. That's going to freak out an awful lot of investors, and we're going to see the market really take a dive in the short term, okay? <clears throat> the truth is all of your investors are in different boats. They, they invest for different reasons. They're different ages, so their investments are tuned to their age and their expected life expectancy, which you've said many times. Uh, the short term is um, guaranteed. This virus is real. It's going to spread like, like, like it is. It's a contagion. And uh, a lot of dominoes are going to fall from this. Uh, they're going to knock over other dominoes. The web that's going to be wove is uh, intricate and is going to catch an awful lot of people in it. If you think about everything coming out of China is shut down now, and it won't be coming out for many, many months. It's, it's gone. You're going to see uh, cost of goods rise considerably. So you have to look at you know today's value of money versus the value of money six months from now. And that I can't really guarantee other than everything's going to cost more. So if I had any input to, to people's thoughts uh, or actions, I would suggest what are you going to need in a tangible sort of way in the next six months, let alone the next three weeks or six weeks. And if you don't have the cash on hand to go make those purchases, I'd remove it. I'd get some in hand. I'm not saying get rid of everything because we don't know what the long term is going to be like. Yeah. Uh, though it could be even worse than or as bad as the contagion. All right, given Mark. The, uh, okay, I appreciate your thoughts. We're going to move ahead. We'll certainly talk about this. Uh, appreciate your thoughts. And I don't think you are the only person out there that have those feelings, by the way. Thanks, Mark. Okay, so this is literally exactly what I was talking about earlier on the show. I don't necessarily disagree with anything Mark said about how the virus is going to impact the it, economy, the world, whatever. It would be silly, wouldn't it, to not think that this thing's going to feed on itself and it's going to do some economic damage. Exactly. All of those issues that he listed are real. What I don't agree with is that because of that information that we already all know and everyone else on the planet knows, 
the market's going to fall further from here. It may. I'm not saying it won't. I'm saying we don't know for sure because it depends if new information comes out that is better or worse than what's already baked into current stock prices. Right. It, it could well, vary. Mark actually. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead, Fred. I think Mark was actually saying. Mark was saying something even more uh, uh, dramatic. I think he was saying, uh, "Go buy water and uh, canned goods and things like that because it's going to be really bad." Which is a step beyond the fact the market may go down some more. So I know that he. Well, was I understand that he, he, he right. was saying that too. So that's a very serious thing. But again, you have to ask yourself. Uh, is this going to be as bad as 1918? I think, uh, no. again, as everyone said, we don't know, but I think it's almost certain it's not going to be. I don't remember. I remember lots of people. I don't remember, but I, I remember that being told that uh, obviously lots of people died, lots of people were sick, but I don't think it was starvation or, uh, you know, those kind of things happening in 1918, which is it's far worse than we're likely to have this time. Well, you know, uh you know, this optimism, pessimism, Dave called me the incurable optimist. And part of the letter I wrote to our clients yesterday that I email blasted, I think maybe it's appropriate. I'm just going to read it. It's two paragraphs. I wrote, I wouldn't pay attention to the pessimist. Now, this is not directed at Mark. This is this is directed at just, you know, anyway, I didn't want Mark to take this personally. This is what I wrote before I talked to Mark. I wouldn't pay attention to the pessimist. Uh, that the financial media is trotting out these days. A pessimist will have no problem pointing out the world's problems in 2020. Yes, the bad news is real and it is everywhere. Throw a rock, hit a problem. I find that the difference between an optimist and a pessimist isn't usually over substance. It's the time frame they're looking at. It's always easier to spot the problems of the day, but progress is almost always more powerful and tends to overcome these problems. And I think, I think to a large extent, like you said, there's a lot you could agree on what Mark's saying, but to say, I know what's going to happen. And the other point I would make is, it's okay, so the stock market falls as much as it did in 2008, 2009. Okay. And where are we today? The world's greatest economy. One of the things I've, I've written a number of times to clients is, look, um, there's always been emergencies. Always been emergencies. But when I look back in history and why I'm such the optimist and why I think optimism is the only real, real view that squares with the facts, is that the emergencies from a year ago or a month ago, they're either, they were either solved or we learned to deal with them. And that's the real story here of we can't, we can't me- measure multi-generational wealth by quarterly performance. Bad things are going to happen. Your plan has to be able to withstand them, and you have to be able to survive. That doesn't mean you get to live exactly how you hoped, but there comes a point where you say, is my plan going to allow me to have a viable retirement where I maintain my independence and dignity, whether we have a global depression or not? I mean, a plan of attack should consider all those things Mark's talking about. Every one of our plans has what Mark is talking about basically stress tested against. Not in name, not in name, and there's always the potential apocalypse du jour that's going to take it, take the market and the economy down longer and further than you would expect. Your plan, and if you don't know if your plan is going to survive that potential, that's not my forecast. I don't think that's gonna happen at all, but it could. And you had to ask yourself, if you're a retiree or someone who wants to retire, can your plan withstand some serious stress? Because you should always assume that stress is going to be worse than what people are talking about. Yep. To, to not assume that is, is to make a wish list for retirement rather than a plan. That's the way I think of it is if you don't expect worse to show up at some point in your life possibly or at least leave the door open for it and say there is a possibility or a probability that something could happen – and you're just saying, I have to bank on good things going right time and time again, that's where you're going to be surprised, where I think people are surprised today. It's They allowed themselves to not get perfect, or however in their mind they had defined success, and here they are worried and panicked that now, because of this apocalypse du jour, it's a significant issue for them. Well, and I think there's a lo- honestly a lot of overconfidence in the world with people who say, you know, things like, well, I know for a fact this is going to happen over the next four weeks. And I say, 
Well, it's kind of a bold claim because there's a lot of people who Seven are... Seven billion people, overlapping minds. Well, and let's just talk about the smartest ones, the people who are PhDs in, in finance who run strategies trying to attempt to time the market and outperform based on that, and they can't do it. You look at the evidence every single year, you look at how many actively managed funds outperform their benchmark, it's like 85% underperform. And then the ones that do outperform their benchmark over a certain period of time don't do it over the next block of time. So it, it it's just like I said, you, kind of common sense test. It's like, do you think you really know more than these people who are PhDs in finance and spend their entire lifetime following the market? Yeah. In all fairness, the blocking and tackling with Mark, I've always felt like, and I told my wife this the other day, it has nothing to do with the coronavirus. I said, I've always felt like in case there's an F4 tornado that knocks power out for a week in town, people probably ought to have some basic supplies to last a week or two in, in, in their office. And the other thing is, and your brother Paul just texted me and said, hey, Mark made a good point, indirectly saying, look, you better have short-term reserves on hand. I don't, you know, whether it's in literal cash or not, you know, that's, I'm not, I don't think it has to be in cash, but this is also kind of one of the uh, uh, benefits of these type of crises as a reminder that everybody needs a contingency and a reserve. Regardless of market environment. Regardless yep. of what's yeah, going it, on today. Go ahead, Fred. And if you're as sure as Mark is, uh, I think you should buy his water and his uh, canned beans and, and uh, see what happens. You can always eat them later if you have to. So if you're as certain as he is, it, it'll probably make him feel a lot better to do that. But I'm, I don't think we're advising other people to do that as well. I mean, you got to imagine, guys, and we got about one minute here. The market has already processed this contagion getting out of hand, right? right? It's it's in front of us. I mean, it's it's kind of a given. In fact, it may have very well discounted worse than what's going to happen. Uh, we had one of our clients send us a, a guy's newsletter yesterday. I thought it was really good, and Dave remind me how we put it about it. It's always darker, blackest. Yeah. I, I thought that he said was, the market does not turn when it sees light at the end of the tunnel. It turns when all looks black, but just a subtle shade less black than the day before. I, I thought that was maybe out of thirty six years in this business. I thought that nails it. I mean, what do you think, Fred? Well, I think that's right. But the other thing, which I, I, I mentioned fairly often. Uh, it's not always uh, a six-week uh, turnaround. Uh, there have been periods all right, where it Fred. takes hey, months we, and months. So all right, I, Fred. We're I, running I out. Oh, sorry about this, but we're running out of time. i got to get this radio show off the air. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Adam, for producing the show. Join us for the second and fourth Tuesday of each month for Paul Rudy's On the Money. Views expressed represent those of the guests and do not necessarily represent those of the station. This is News Talk 1400, WDWS, Champaign-Urbana.